Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. Content warnings for this episode include religion, transphobia, homophobia, suicidal ideation, and depression, possible mention of war and bloodshed. So meowdy friends, I'm Gender Meowster. I use they, them pronouns. This is my furry co-host, Neferkitty. She is sleeping on the job per usual. Her pronouns are she, her. And I will let my guest introduce himself. Hey, hello. I'm so excited to be here. Hi. <laughs> Good I'm to so see excited you. that you're here. It's- yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm like, woo, I've prepared so much for this and I'm still super nervous. Well, you're <laughs> going to do great. All right, so hello everyone. My name is Lex Asterion. I'm a non-binary, min-gender, trans man. I use he and they pronouns. I prefer the he, him pronouns, but I also accept they, them pronouns. I'm 26 years old. I live in Europe, in Germany to be more specific and i'm an artist as you can see per my vtuber you made <laughs> I'm that i'm also yeah i made that <laughs> i love it so much yeah i made that a while ago i just recently turned it into the vtuber because i thought that would be like the coolest image to use today totally it's it's just fitting <laughs> it's griffin baphomet i love it I love it so much. So for those listening to the podcast later, can you describe what your VTuber looks like? Okay, my VTuber is based on Baphomet, so it has the pose and uh, the general looks, like the shape, but it's a griffin. So instead of horns, I place the ears there, and instead of Baphomet's ears, it has long cheek beard fluff going out. And instead of the torch on top of its head, I just took the mohawk of my character and shaped it into the torch form. Yeah, it has wings, one arm is uh, pointing up and one arm is pointing downwards. And I have a pentagram on my forehead. And you're such a lovely purple. It should be blue. (laughs) You're such a lovely blue. I don't know my colors. You're such a lovely (laughs) blue blurple. Yeah, it it was a little more blurple at some point. I don't know. <laughs> it's something in between. It's a good color. I just love it so much. Yeah. Oh, so good. Okay. Oh my gosh. My brain wants to ask so many questions all at the same time. So how, let's just, we'll start at the beginning. That's probably a good place to start. What are things that you trace back to your youth that indicated you might be non-binary or trans one day? Like how did your gender adventure begin? What were some hints or some like Easter eggs or spoiler alerts? I like that. Spoiler alerts. Yeah, definitely. Oh, goodness. I actually wrote a 12 page document just on that question. I'm trying to keep it concise for the stream today. So yeah, I've always felt different. When I think back to my childhood, I remember that I very clearly felt or perceived myself as a guy, as a boy, as a male. But since everyone around me told me, hey girl, and stuff like that, I was like, okay, I guess that's just the way it is. And I I never like made a connection, but I was like eight years old when I started realizing that. So yeah, 
I never took a large mental note of it. It was just omnipresent, which also showed in my role-playing characters that I had as a child. I would always play animals because I have had a perception of many species of being like masculine looking, like dinosaurs and horses and you know, dinosaurs were my favorite animals. So <laughs> there we go. Then later I grew up very religious. So traditional gender norms were pretty much fed into my brain. So I, I never really questioned, but there were definitely some spoiler moments when I was I don't know, still childhood age, uh, I wanted to be Kovu. I watched The Lion King 2 and I just thought, man, he's so handsome. I love his voice. I want to be him. And I literally prayed to God, please let me look the way that I feel. Thinking back, that's just really, it's weird how I could say those words, let me look the way that I feel and just not know that was a trans thing. And today, thinking back, it, it just means a lot to me to remember those memories, to bring back those times. Yeah, and I remember with 16, I had a werewolf face and I always pictured myself as a male werewolf, still super thick eggshell. I had no clue what that meant. I just wanted to be a male werewolf, <laughs> but I'm still a girl, I'm still sis. Yeah, I think later in the talk show, there's a question about a specific moment of euphoria. I'll save that for now. But yeah, there were definitely many spoilers and uh, signs that I just couldn't recognize because I didn't have any knowledge on transness. I didn't know that it existed. I didn't know that it could be possible. And religion also played a big part in just keeping me inside of my eggshell. So clearly something has happened since your youth, right? Because you're now using he, they pronouns. So, so how has your relationship to gender evolved over time? You had these little hints, these little things, but when did you start stepping into who you are today? Yeah. First it took getting out of my bubble that I grew up in, that I spent most of my life in because growing up religious, I also sought out the company of religious people and my social circle was also very religious and everyone had or less uh, the same ideas about life and uh, gender roles. Let me check my notes here so that I don't go off track too much. Let me see. I have, yeah, I noted here that it's frankly outlandish how all of these spoilers did not crack my egg, but I was effectively <laughs> clueless after pushing the entire trans topic into the evil stuff do not touch box inside my head. So yeah, getting out of the bubble and Actually, there was a very traumatic experience because I was in a marriage for three years. It was very abusive. And one day a friend came to visit and he saw that happening. And he told me, hey, open your eyes. Look at what's going on, how you're being treated. And he offered me to come with him to Germany. And I did. At first it was only for planned for a week, but I decided to stay. I never returned. And uh, yeah, that just pulled me out of the bubble and put me like in a vacuum where people just cared about me and just like catered to my needs, but did not at any point tell me who I have to be or impose any societal pressure on me. It was really like coming out of the woods, like coming out of a thick mud, being able to breathe. And over time, of course, I was super depressed and had to take medication 
first combat, all of that. But once I started like coming back to myself, coming back to life from all of that stuff that happened, I started thinking a lot about myself. I started going into myself and feeling, hey, who am I actually? Who am I? Not who do others see in me or who do others want me to be, but who am I? And the first thing that surfaced was that I'm not straight. I'm pansexual. I'm effectively gender blind in my attraction. That was like, huh, okay, maybe I belong to the rainbow after all, which I didn't think was possible back when I was a Christian. But yeah, that's a whole different story. But that was like the starting point. And so I started reaching out to other LGBT people on the internet. I decided that I would like to be someone who embraces people for who they are instead of judging them for no good reason at all. And then slowly I uh, found some other trans mask people in a small role-playing server. And it was that weird feeling of, this is my tribe. Like, why is this my tribe? Why do I feel like that? Why do I feel that connection? And yeah, so I started questioning more and discovering until eventually I found out that I am definitely not cis. And from there, I started experimenting. First thing I did was ask people to use neutral pronouns for me. I came out as non-binary. And yeah, later, uh, with time, I discovered more of my masculinity until I found that I hit the spot. Yeah, hey, this right here, this min gender identity here, it's non-binary, but it's masculine and I'm very comfortable calling myself a boy, a man, and a guy, and a bloke, and whatever. So that was my little journey there. And that all happened in the course of, I think, I came out in January 2021. So all of that happened until today. Yeah. It's been, what's that, 13 months? 13 is a good number for a Satanist, I feel like. (laughs) Ah, yes. The unlucky number. I remember like having you in the community exploring they them and then you wandered off and did some of your own thing for a while and then you wandered back in and then you were he is greater than they and I was like oh something happened oh yeah I missed yeah that's a development (laughs) I'm so proud of you Lex it's so exciting to hear all of these things like oh I'm smiling so hard my face hurts I'm so like proud of you that's (laughs) Um, so sweet but I so, think you actually witnessed a part of it when we had a D&D game uh-huh. and I put my character's pronouns as he, they, instead of the other way around. Uh-huh. You were like, eyebrow waggles. <laughs> that sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for those who maybe haven't heard the phrase min gender, could you just take a moment to define that for us? Yeah, sure. It's actually easy. The min part is just uh, the letters M-I-N, which uh, are an abbreviation of masculine in nature. So it's like a spectrum and an umbrella of itself for all types of genders that are masculine in nature. But I like to use it as identity. I like that. That's awesome. Thanks for explaining. I just took notes. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So we've talked a bit about your gender journey, which it makes me so happy. And now... What I want to pivot and talk a bit more is some of the specific Satanism questions that we came up with. 
And yeah. I'm sure along the way, we'll find all the ways that your new spiritual paradigm or philosophy works with your gender identity. All it's, right. I'm excited. I've heard you say it's hard to pull the two apart from each other. They're in linked yeah. at the core for you. So what is Satanism? There's a lot of fear mongering about the word. Mm. So for those who don't have a lot of experience or a lot of context for this, this concept, what is Satanism? Okay, this is the point where I have to say that I am not an official spokesperson of any satanic organization. The following views and opinions are strictly my own. Mm -hmm. And there are many flavors of Satanism, and I just have my own. So if you want more information, I'm going to put some links in the YouTube uh, description later. But as I said, that is only if you want to get more information from other sources and it's not endorsing anything in particular. Awesome. Yeah, I so... Will, I will also just plunk them in the chat while we just said that little content warning about it. Okay, great. Yeah, but yeah. I'm non-denominational. I'm my own kind of Satanist and a lone wolf on my individual path. But in general, there are both theistic and non-theistic renditions of Satanism, which means there are Satanists who believe that Satan is an, is an entity that actually exists. And there mm -hmm. are other people who do not believe that he exists, but like to use him as an archetype, a symbol or an allegory of their values, which, mm -hmm. uh, which I belong to. I do not believe that Satan actually exists, but rather I find him inspiring. So I'm an atheist. I'm leaning into pantheism, but more in the form of impersonal God, like there, for me, I don't think there is a personal god like that has a sentience or anything. But if I had to design or designate anything to be divine, it would be the universe itself. Okay, so yeah, Satan is, is quite a big figure in religion and history as well. There's a lot of artistic history with Satan, especially in the Romantic period which is what actually birthed the entire Satanism religion thing. So the branch that I'm talking about, well, it's, it is a branch of humanism. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like humanism with, with a bit of spice. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so yeah. I know that you have some images that you wanted to share. When is, when is a good time to go over some of those? I don't know if it's now or in a couple questions. Frankly, I didn't plan when to show what images. Okay. Let me see if there's anything bidding right now. The next question that I have is why Satan of all figures? And maybe part of that is like the combo of who is Satan and why Satan is like, here's a bunch of different images of it. I love that you talk about how religion can either be like literally true, like literally Satan exists or existed or what have you, or figuratively just an archetype that you use to make meaning. A little known fact about gender meowster, I actually have two degrees in religion. This is, a, I would say this was my special interest in my early 20s, was just studying all of the ways of making sense out of the world. And spirituality, spirituality at its core is a paradigm through which we make meaning out of life. And so I love that you can distinguish between the archetypal version that is still atheist and it's more a philosophy or a structure that you have in your mind versus this magical being in the sky with powers or something. Yeah. And I think both can be powerful for people in different ways, but oh, yeah, definitely. I, archetypes are really a powerful thing to work with. So yeah, that's really cool. So why Satan of all figures? 
Okay, I think I'm going to show a picture here so that we have an image. Who is Satan? This is an illustration for the book Paradise Lost, which kind of started off the entire Satanist literature thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like a groundwork for the characterization of the figure of Satan. Mm -hmm. Let me fetch my notes. Brain is fried. <laughs> it is rather okay. late there. It's like 11 o'clock at night, your time. <laughs> yeah, it is, but, but don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> okay, yeah, so we got Paradise Lost, uh, written by John Milton in 1660s. It's a, an epic poem that just tells the story of how Satan fell from heaven and how Adam and Eve were told to eat of the forbidden fruit and uh, thus the paradise was lost. Mm -hmm. This is the shortest version I can say. Anyways. That was so uh, succinct. You just said a bunch of Genesis in three sentences. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very long. I have the book here. It's thick. It's really thick. You so you read yeah. it yourself? I started listening to a podcast of someone reading it, but I, I didn't finish it yet because it's a lot. It's a lot. And it's like very old English, like 1600s. Mm-hmm. Dense. It's not that easy to understand. It's very dense, yeah, but it's, it's like interesting. Shelley, the Odyssey, that stuff, yeah. Cool. Very true, yeah. Yeah, romantic literature kind of puts puts the baseline on the character of Satan. It is not clear whether John Milton intended to make Satan so attractive, but he did. <laughs> you're just you're just calling out all the pansexuals right now, <laughs> and Satan even in contemporary portrayals is often portrayed as attractive. Like, yeah. I'm, even, I'm even thinking of Disenchanted that just came out recently, like in the last month or two, then the most contemporary season. And I feel like Satan has probably appeared in Futurama and other sort of shows of that Matt Groening category. Like, it's still so prevalent today. It's true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> like, they all portrayed him as a very good-looking masculine figure. Like, good muscles. Look at those calves here. Those calves go for days. Calves for days. And nice wings. Is it always bat wings? Uh, or is not it sometimes always. feathery wings, too? Yeah, there's pictures with feathery wings, but they're black. Like, black feathery wings. There, there's always something showing that he's a fallen angel. Either it's black wings, wings that were cut off, or a bat wings. I think... For Gustave Doré, the bat wings are very typical of him. So cool. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I was just going to make the bridge to William Blake. So yeah, John Milton unintentionally made Satan very attractive. And about a hundred years later, the romantic writer William Blake, who is one of the most important writers for satanic romantic uh, literature, he said, in the marriage of heaven and hell, the reason Milton wrote in fetters when he wrote of angels and God, and at liberty when of devils and hell, is because he was a true poet and of the devil's party without knowing it. Yeah, writers like William, Bra William Blake, I'm sorry, expanded on Milton's figure of Satan and criticized on it, highlighting the heroic properties of Satan. We have books like The Marriage of Heaven and Hell by William Blake. We have Cain by George Go Gordon Byron, aka Lord Byron. Very mm -hmm. well-known name in romantic literature. Mm -hmm. We have Percy Bysshe Shelley, who wrote Prometheus Unbound, which is very important because Satan is a very Prometheus, Promethean figure. 
he mm -hmm. stole something from the gods and was punished for it and for bringing something good to humanity. It's interesting to see the parallels between uh, Satan and Prometheus. Yeah. And one, one thing that we studied back in the day is how, like the way that they write about Jesus in the Bible, for example, it follows a genre of writing at the time that was all about messianic writings. And if you look mm -hmm. in history, there are thousands of different tales about different people that share a lot of the same elements of storytelling as you see with Jesus. So the, the virgin birth the dying and rising again and being able to perform miracles while alive. And so it's actually, it's like an entire genre of writing. And it's incredible that the Jesus story stuck around when there were literally thousands of other things like Mithra and Zoroastrianism and all this other stuff. There's thousands of other versions of the tale about other people that are the same story. True, true. Yeah, I, I so, read about Mithras and uh, Zoroaster. So it doesn't surprise me to hear that like, there may be this entire genre or subgenre of writing that's about Satan that you also see with Prometheus and other figures throughout history. Yeah, true. That, that's very interesting. Like, I like looking at uh, literature history and just uh, specific figures mm -hmm. that were like repeatedly portrayed, even under different names and mm -hmm. even in different cultures that kind of used the same narrative or same groundworks. It's super interesting. So I do have a clarifying question for you. We had a comment in the chat that people need to remember that Satan and Lucifer are different. And my question for you is Satan, Lucifer, Baphomet, they're all different, but they're often conflated. How do you differentiate them? And why do you think they're so often smushed together as the same entity? Oh, that's a, that's actually a great question. Yes, I absolutely confirm that Satan and Lucifer are not the same. And Baphomet was originally not not even lumped with them. The mm -hmm. thing is that somehow as time passes and stories are passed on, people start conflating things. So eventually Lucifer from the Bible, who was originally the title given to a king. I have some notes on that somewhere for more clarification, but that was a human being. That was not the devil or anything. And also the original Satan in the Bible was not the devil, but a job description. It was an angel who had the job of judging people. So both of them were not tied to the devil or adversary of God or anything originally, but later as uh, the stories were told, somehow they got yeah conflated into one. Nowadays, there are people who still have a very strict distinction between Satan and Lucifer and see them as two different entities or archetypes. I personally see them, I'm aware that they are not meant to be the same, but since they are archetypes and both represent something important to me, I like to conflate them into one figure for my, for my personal path. And with the focus on like self-liberty that we find in Satanism, I think Satan would approve. WWSD, what would Satan do? <laughs> Okay, this question is only tangentially related. ADHD, what are you going to do? Soul, Mage Soul asks to both of you, what are your thoughts on the nine rings of the underworld? Are we talking Dante's Inferno? Yes, somewhat at least. Okay, I suppose. I have not read Dante's Inferno. I went over a few notes on it just to get a general idea of what it is, which led me to an interesting discussion with other people about the figure of Judas 
because he is portrayed as being in the the worst of the worst levels of hell. Mm -hmm. That seems unfair since Judas was a important figure in getting Christ crucified, which is an important happening for Christianity. But yeah, that's a different topic. I don't have a lot of knowledge on Dante's Inferno or the circles of hell. And since I don't believe that hell exists, I don't think I can say a lot about it. Yeah. I feel similarly. I feel like hell is a pretty Christian contrived perspective. I don't know if Satanists believe in hell. I'm I mean, sure maybe, there are some. Maybe who collectively do, but... they don't all believe in the same things, of course, because no one's a yeah, monolith. That, that's true. There, there's absolutely no monolith. If there was, then Satanism in, in its premise would have failed entirely because it's about individuality and finding your own path. So. If there arises a monolith where everyone has to do or think the same, something's really wrong. And this is not what I would look to Lucifer for or to Satan for. All right. Scooting back to questions that we thought of ahead of time. Who or what is Satan to you? Satan, to me, is fictitious. So he can represent anything that I want that is meaningful to me. And I really enjoy that freedom. This is not a real figure that has, like, uh, human limitations. This is not a human leader who is fallible, but gets uh, sold as infallible, and therefore a lot of stuff happens that shouldn't. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, okay, Satan is fiction. I will find my own Satan within myself, <laughs> so to say. Also, the, the reason we call ourselves Satanist is also a reclamation of something that was once used as an accusation against uh, innocent people. Mm. Just much witch. Like, when there were witch hunts going on, they didn't target actual witches, but innocent people who didn't conform to the societal norms of their time. So probably and, neurodivergent people? Yeah, neurodivergent people, women who dared standing up against the, the pa patriarchy, People like that. They mm -hmm. were often scapegoated and branded and just horribly mistreated for not conforming. Yeah. And since Satanism is about personal freedom, I think that's very important uh, that we reclaim the accusation. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, we, we embrace our outcast status as free rebels. Like, I've been a black sheep all of my life. I've been a weirdo everywhere I went. I've been looked down upon and was like, what is that person up to? But now I know that a lot of that was because I'm trans and I just didn't know. I was never the person that people expected me to be. I was never like the feminine girl or whatever was the expectation. And therefore I was ostracized a lot. But mm -hmm. now that I know, now that I know who I am, I embrace that and I say, okay, that's me. That's good. That's amazing. Like I'm an outcast. Okay. That if that means I'm free, if that means I'm who I am, I'll take it. I'm so just yeah. I'm just smiling at you right now. <laughs> so I'm curious about how does Satanism relate to your identity? So you just talked a little bit about identity, but where does the, the trans vector come into all of this? Like where is it extra meaningful? Because you're trans and a Satanist. Maybe I'm going to go back a little bit to describe the figure of Satan, because I don't think I, I explained it enough, because that's important. That's where 
all of this freedom stuff comes in, all of this rebellion stuff. My personal inspiration is Anatole France's depiction of Satan in the book uh, Revolt of the Angels. And there's a few like bullet points that I wrote down here for him. Like He treated all of the other angels as his equals. He didn't think he's above them, like uh, Yahweh did. He realized that him and all the angels, including Yahweh, are made equal. And in the story that Anatole France tells, Yahweh is not the true creator in the story, but the universe exists of itself, which makes Yahweh an imposter. Which I think is very interesting, because that's like looking at human regions, looking at uh, kings and queens. We're all human, we're all equal. You're not better than me, and I'm not better than you. That's a very core part for me. Yeah, then he questioned the rightfulness of uh, Yahweh's dominion over all of the angels, since they were all equal. And then he thought, okay, we have to free ourselves from this tyranny because we are who we are and we are good enough and we don't have to we don't have to bow before you because you're one of us. And that's where the like the Promethean part comes in. He was he and his angels were defeated through sheer brutality, cast out of heaven. So he lost everything he'd ever known, which happened to me too. So mm. I relate to that. I lost everything I've ever known. I landed in a place where I didn't know anything. It was all uncharted ground. But then decided to stand up again. I'm gonna show an image. Hang on. There we go. Okay, this is a watercolor painting by William Blake. It's Satan standing on a rock, holding up his arms and calling for his legions. There's a place in Paradise Lost where the angels that are fallen down to pandemonium or like laying around as if they were dead they're not actually dead but it's like they have to decide now they have the decision if we stand up now and decide to live we will but we can also decide to just stay here and be dead forever and this picture is just satan calling them to stand up and to yeah to dare to live again dare to find a new path in life so it's an image of resiliency yeah, it's uh, it's resiliency, yeah. And then there's uh, something interesting in Anatole France's depiction that I really like a lot. So in heaven, everything was perfect, except for maybe the inequality and tyranny, but whatever. There was no suffering, <laughs> per se. Just ignore the inequality and tyranny, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm just saying heaven is always depicted as a place of perfect bliss. Nobody cries, nobody has pain, nobody... But when Satan fell into hell, into pandemonium, something he had never felt came upon him, and that was pain. And through his own pain and suffering, he learned empathy and compassion, which I think is really amazing because that's superhuman. That's a very human thing. If I know, if I have gone through a certain type of pain, I can empathize so much easier with other people who are going through the same. Mm-hmm. And empathy is just a big thing. Like, hey, we are all the same, and the best we can do is take care of each other. Mm -hmm. Totally. And then he decided to extend his benevolence, empathy, and compassion towards the humans who he saw that were suffering on Earth. That's an Anatole Francis thing. Of course, in Paradise Lost, before he starts helping the humans, he first uh, gives them the forbidden fruit. There's a picture here. That was a Christmas display of the Satanic Temple. It's a hand holding up an apple 
and the snake is coiled around it. And it says knowledge is the greatest gift. Yeah. On the placard. I love the glowing red and that it's like made of onyx or black plastic or whatever it is. I don't know what it's made of, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, and, and I also love the, the placard here because it's like when Adam and Eve were placed into paradise, they were like children. They were ignorant. They didn't know anything. They couldn't differentiate between right and wrong until they ate the fruit. And therefore, mm -hmm. from there on, they were free to make their own decisions, to know what is good and what is wrong, to think about their own actions, which I think is very important because re responsibility and just knowing what you're doing with your life, just knowing if you're hurting someone or if you're not, but you're free to do whatever you want. Just don't hurt anybody. It's one of the main premises of uh, Satanism. And it harm none, do as ye will. Yeah, I believe I believe the Wiccans use use that that exact wording. I'm not sure here, but I I saw I've seen it a few times in Wiccan context. I think it's amazing. It's really cool. I wanted to show another picture. Which one was that? Oh yeah, here. It's a little sketch I made. Ah, you drew that. Yeah. <laughs> Is it Baphomet with knowledge is the greatest gift in the apple with the pentagram yes. inverted? Exactly, with two little snakes around his arms. Nice. And uh, he has top surgery scars. <laughs> of course he does, because it's not trans-Satanism if there aren't top surgery scars. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> Amazing. That's how I, I roll. Your VTuber also has little top surgery scars. Oh yeah, he does. He does. So good. My yeah, I officially gave them to my character. I love that we, we get to see that piece of like gender history in physical form, like it's included in the story. Yeah. Yeah, artistic expression is just a good way to, you know, express yourself. Okay, um, so if I break down like the main premise of Satan, the the values that I personally feel that he represents, mm -hmm. it would be benevolence, compassion, empathy, respect, and fairness. Like towards oneself and towards others, including non-human animals. Like every living creature. And then we got rationality, reason, wisdom, knowledge, education, science, critical thinking, scrutiny agnosticism and acceptance of the unknown. Just like saying, it's okay to say, I do not know. It, it's a valid answer. We don't have to come up with weird things if we just don't know. It's okay to say you don't know. It's just something from my past where everyone was like, okay, I have an answer for everything. And I got told the weirdest things. Yeah, yeah I naturally, I love acquiring wisdom. I love reading books. I love uh, learning new things, spending hours on Wikipedia, just learning about the world. It's uh, it's just one of my favorite obsessions. <laughs> it's definitely a quality of yours that I've picked up on over the last couple of years. Uh, I, remember, I, I remember a period where you were just researching like every pride flag, every gender identity, and you would report back to the server like here's what i found today it's so cool check this out you probably oh, yeah. even posted about min gender and i just forgot the specifics of it 
I did. Someone yeah. asked about uh, masculine leaning uh, non-binary gender labels, and I found a bunch of them. I found Solarian, I found Proxvir, I found men gender and stuff. And I'm grateful that I did that research because now I know that men gender label fits me. <laughs> yeah, and there's something so powerful about naming yourself. That is really true. That's really true. All right, if I may go on, just to finish the the portrayal, so that sure. we know what satan we're actually talking about sure yeah go ahead i feel that's important because there's many figures of satan and i have one uh, specific archetype that i use for myself that i like to make sure everyone understands what i'm talking about all right so we have the entire wisdom and knowledge thing and then we have self-love self-fulfillment self-sovereignty bodily and mental autonomy this is super important to me as a trans person because, yeah, if my body is mine and my life is mine and I can do whatever I want, then I should be free to have my sex changed. Then I should be free to have my name changed and stuff like that. And also bodily autonomy also includes the entire topic of abortions and stuff. I'm a guy with a uterus. It's, it's something important to me that people actually have or should have autonomy over what happens to their bodies. So, yeah, then we have equality, equity, freedom, responsibility, and integrity. Like, how do you treat with others? How do you see them? Remember that everyone is made the same. We're all stardust. Nobody's better than the other. Nobody's worse. It's just your, your decisions in life, your actions you take, in my eyes, are the only thing that can be used to judge you. Not the way you look, not where you were born, not anything like that not your religion, only your personal actions. Yeah, and then we have the rebellion part, which is rejection of unconditional obedience, the fight for justice and adversity against tyranny. Also super important for us uh, LGBT people. Because if we get tyrannized into being someone we're not with conversion therapy and stuff, we have to fight back because this is our mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Yeah, and then I got progress as opposed to arbitrary conservativity. I think the world keeps changing, the universe keeps changing, and living organisms like us, we also change. We also change, like, being trans, is, is, it is changing. It is discovering something new about yourself and changing into it to find happiness. So progress is where it's at. If I'm conservative about my identity and say, no, I, I'm not that guy, I'm, I'm that girl, I'm going to be unhappy for the rest of my life because I've lied to myself. Yeah, I'm sorry for making this longer, but I thought this is very important. Who or what is Satan? To, this is how I would describe the idea of his archetype and personality. It's totally fine. Thank you for taking the time to write about all of this stuff ahead of time. And <laughs> I can really tell that you've thought deeply about these topics and it's nice to hear your, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, a nuanced perspective. Yeah, I just started info dumping like a champ because I'm neurodiverse and I sometimes I just want to info dump and it's so much fun that I cannot stop. It's totally relatable. I get that way with certain topics as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so we, we had the question how it relates to my identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like this. the answers to that question are all over the place in this entire episode. But I tried putting together a few core informations. There's the strongly celebrated individualism, 
that inherently embraces self-identity and the emphasis on science and knowledge. Science supports a vast gender spectrum instead of a rigid binary. And therefore science validates all gender identities, which I think is the best news ever. <laughs> okay, science says I'm valid. I don't have to think any further about it. It's just reality. It's just nature. And that's, mm -hmm. wow, that's so cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, like people, maybe many transphobic people like to tell us that we're delusional and stuff, but if science is backing us up, I'm sorry, your argument is invalid. You're just being, uh, I don't know, super conservative for no reason at all. Like science is going forward, it's, it's making strides into the future. It's uncovering more of the cosmos. I'm gonna go along with that. Yeah, and therefore, if I just look at one specific organization, they, the Satanic Temple, I know that at least 50% or more of their members are LGBT. Oh, wow. And I suppose that has a lot to do with many of us being the black sheep in our social bubble, mm -hmm. misunderstood, and on our journey to self-discovery. And yeah, I suppose suppose it's just cool to find other people who have similar experiences like we do here in, in your server. And in, in, in one of those ways, in, or in, in the same way, uh, Satanists gravitate towards, towards each other and many of them just happen to be LGBT because of those shared experiences. There's also, there's also trans people who are in leadership positions in uh, organizations, which is super cool. There's uh, one person, hang on, I'm going to bring up a picture. One uh, person that I just quickly found in a Google search, there there has to be more of them because, yeah, we're everywhere. The alphabet mafia is everywhere. Yeah, this is Sadie Satanas. She's a trans woman and she's the leader of one of the official Satanic Temple chapters. I don't remember what place. I'm not in the USA, so I always keep forgetting that. But here she is, she and her entire chapter participated in a trans visibility march that's awesome and i think that's super cool like this is us this is just us trans people banding together working together and uh we're united by so many different apart as well from uh just being trans i think that's cool like we found each other in so many different places it's cool i'm gonna switch back here we go yeah, so how does it relate to my identity? Let's go on. Yeah, I spent my entire life, I say it's 25 years, just repressing my identity. And that was honestly the most detrimental thing I've ever done in my life. And I kept doing it for 25 years. Because all of that, not knowing who I am and not allowing myself to know because it was taboo, that led to so much self-hate and mm -hmm. mental health issues. And yeah. I'm just so happy that with the help of Satanism, I found I, I was able to find self-acceptance because where my former religion, Christianity, my branch of that, the place where I grew up was always telling me exactly what I had to be, but I never was. Suddenly I found myself in a world where people tell you, hey, you're cool the way you are, whichever way you are, Nature's full of color, nature's full of diversity and variety. We embrace that. We love that. 
And yeah, that just, uh, it was just like, whoa, I found the most beautiful thing ever. <laughs> yeah. And I also took a note on symbols and rituals. I have some of them that help me get through dysphoria days. Yeah. Maybe more on that later, but I have some jewelry. I have a inverted pentagram, a uh, Leviathan cross, and I have a Baphomet idol sitting on my desk. And those are just things that I use as little tools for myself to remind myself that I'm valid, that I'm good the way I am. And Baphomet, um, taking him for myself, I see him as mask. I see him as masculine. I, I always use him, he, him pronouns for him, uh, but Baphomet is actually androgynous. My statue here doesn't have uh, breasts, but Baphomet normally has breasts and I have them too. And I'm like, if Baphomet can have breasts, I don't have to feel that bad about my own. Mm -hmm. So those are little things that I use on my own psychology just to keep the worst of the dysphoria a bit down and calm myself and be like, you know who you are and you are going to blaze your trail and go your path and you have wonderful people around you who see who you are and you'll make it through. I love that. And having you switch from the image to your VTuber, we can really see the shapes that you made sure to include in your drawing. Oh yeah, I could switch back for a moment. There we go. I love how the goat face has like a long nose, similar to the beak on your griffin as well. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, I just tried to keep the shape more or less while just still keeping it true to my character, whose name yeah. is Lexus, by the way. Nice. All right. So I have two, four, six, seven, eight, nine. I have nine more questions for you personally, and we'll see if the Twitch chat comes up with any more questions for you along the way. My next question for you is, how did you become a Satanist? All right. I know I've already told a few things about that, but in my preparation, I wrote a lot about it and <laughs> I don't want to let it go to waste. So. All right. I, as I already said, I grew up a Christian and the church and my parents and my peers around me set very traditional norms and expectations that I didn't live up to, which was especially noticeable in gender and also sexuality. I was born in Europe and yet I experienced a satanic panic in my childhood home firsthand. For those who don't know what the satanic was, it was, it was, it was a big scare in the 80s and the 90s where people would go around and say, if your children play Dungeons and Dragons, they're going to be possessed by demons and everything like that. Like people were really fear mongering about organized Satanism, about people making rituals and abusing children, things that never happened. But what they did was get people into jail and the panic itself hurt a lot of people. So there were a lot of taboos that I grew up with because my parents perceived things as satanic, as evil, as you cannot read Harry Potter or else you'll have demons in the house that will possess you and steal your soul and all of that mm -hmm. jazz. It wasn't fun. <clears throat> yeah, I, I wasn't even allowed to draw dragons because of that. Later on, really? they, they... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was... Yeah, when I was, I was about eight when I really started getting creative and started drawing things. I drew dinosaurs and stuff. And eventually I found uh, pictures of Chinese dragons and I thought, whoa, those are so cool. I need to draw them. And my parents called me to a serious talk and looked me in the eyes, like in all seriousness. And were like, 
Do you know what you drew here? Do you know that this is of the devil and that this is evil? And told me all of the things about uh, the book of Revelation, whatever. And I was like, what? I'm sorry, what? That was a bit traumatizing. I was eight years old. I was innocently expressing my creativity with fantasy creatures and that's what I got. Yeah, that was the satanic panic in my household. And thus, I repressed my identity all my life, de developed all of those beautiful mental health problems, depression, suicidal ideation, and on top of it, paranoia. I thought I was cursed from birth and being punished for existing because I was ostracized for being for being human. I thought I was cursed for being human. I was told that being human is the most evil thing that you could be born as. So really toxic ideas. I thought I was cursed for being AFAB because women are bad. That's what I was told. Oh, wow. Oh, I was cursed for having human desires because, uh, yeah, human desire is evil and you have to suppress everything about being human in order to get a ticket to heaven. All desires, curiosities, and urges were frowned upon, and it was hard to deal with that, being a naturally curious person. Like, I love science, and when I found out about dinosaurs, naturally, I started learning about uh, evolution and everything, but it was all taboo. It was all, no, Earth is young, and no fossils, and at least I was allowed to have an interest in dinosaurs, because my parents found a way to reconcile it with the deluge which nowadays I find funny. I was only allowed to be interested in dinosaurs because they could rationalize it into their faith, but okay. At least there was something. So yeah, a great portion of my personality and interests were an absolute And it's no wonder I landed where I am now because all of those interests were always mythology and beasts and creatures and science and, and every all of those things are stuff that I enjoy a lot today and they were all in part at least very taboo when i grew up so yeah um in my struggle to find favor before or the deity of my parents and forgiveness for being me which really just shows how toxic it was that led to my trans egg evolving an extremely tough shell as i remained absolutely clueless when any <laughs> spoilers of my gender identity bubbled up, like the werewolf face, or that I wanted to be Kovu and stuff like that. Those were very clear signs that I didn't pick up on because I effectively misguided myself because I didn't know any better than what I'd been taught and everything was labeled evil. And I didn't want to be evil. I didn't want to go to hell. I was afraid. Yeah, also I was forced into performing womanhood. It was an obligation. It I never perceived that being a woman for me personally would be something that I would choose out of freedom. If, if someone had asked me that so specifically back then, maybe I would have cracked my shell earlier. Because if I had consciously thought about if I had the choice, what gender would I be? Then maybe I would have noticed earlier that it would not be a woman. But yeah, so there was the tough eggshell. And I never lived up to the expectations of, uh, of womanhood. I never lived up to being feminine enough. And I got socially punished, ostracized, alienated, just generally pressured into being someone that I'm not. But yeah, then after 25 years, 
At the end of the abusive marriage, a pair of friends took me in and cared for me, which is where I still live today in Germany. And yeah, I've, I had left everything behind that I had ever known, much like uh, Satan in the story. But it, it was like I had found uncharted ground. I had found unclaimed territory where I could flourish, where I could just let my roots grow in whatever direction I wanted. It was just that these people who took me in didn't have any expectations. They didn't have any dogma for me. They just said, hello, you are who you are. You're cool. Come here. Whatever you need, we're here for you. And that's honestly the greatest thing that happened in my life. Like finding people like these. I have such an amazing chosen family. So yeah, I <laughs> that's where I went back into myself, back in time, in my mind, and recovered a lot of things that uh, that have been lost along the way, like my identity, my sexuality, the way that I wanted to see the world, the way that I really thought about the world without dogma, just pure and raw. What do I think? What do I find after learning? Mm -hmm. And how do I learn about it? So I, I slowly deconstructed my old worldviews because I, I thought there's no reason to feel bad for just being who I am. I don't need forgiveness for daring to exist. Like That's I right. didn't have a choice. I wasn't asked. Nature just birthed me that way. Nature just gave me those cards. Why should I have to apologize for that? And to whom? That was a big question. Yeah. So yeah, um, found out that I'm a part of the rainbow. I embraced it. And one thing after the other, just uh, caused me to slowly chip away at all of my supernatural beliefs, like the concept of original sin, making all humans inherently corrupted, or the paranoia of my teenage years of evil spirits hunting after my soul. And I was so glad to leave that behind, because all of that fear was really stunting my life, was really stunting my, like, I was surviving, but not thriving, if you understand what I mean. I do. Yeah. 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 I, sometimes I, I use a, an image to describe myself. I'm, I'm like a tree. And there were people who kept cutting off my branches. They kept cutting them off, but I kept regrowing them. And I may be scarred, but now my branches can regrow and they can grow tall. They can grow wide. They can grow in any twisted direction that they want. And that's, yeah, that's that's a good point in my life right now. It's a really good point. Yeah, and looking back into my childhood, I, I got back to the satanic panic stuff. And I thought, okay, let's pick this apart. Let's see what we can learn about this. What's behind all of that? Why are they so afraid of that? And I found out that Satan is not that easy. Satan is not just what my parents told me. There's a lot of other interpretations and ideas and figures. I was like, okay, this is interesting. Like... Maybe I can find more there than I bargained for. And I'm here, so I did. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. It, it was natural because I've always loved like gloomier kinds of art, like darker art, macabre art with gulls and bats and, and wearing black and, and things like that, like uh, fascination with anatomy as well. And many, many, much of that symbolism is often found in uh, Satan-inspired art and things. So. 
I naturally gravitated towards that because I was, okay, that's cool. And they also use a lot of symbols and my brain is, oh, symbol, cool. I don't need to think words. I just see symbol and I know what's meant. That's cool. That's just like my ADHD brain, like symbol. I know what you mean. <laughs> no picking apart words anymore. So yeah, I began embracing that. I play D&D. I've not been possessed to my knowledge. So yeah, I've found freedom in the transgression against societal norms and religious dogma. A reasonable transgression and healthy rebellion, like when it is worth it rebelling, when it is worth it transgressing, that is a big part of Satanism. It's not about just per se doing the opposite of everything because sometimes the status quo is actually all right in some things, like some laws are actually good. In my opinion, don't kill people. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm not going to go against that just because I'm a rebel. I actually agree with that. So it has to be reason. And I found that coming from where I come, my rebellion began with my very existence. Because nature made me in a way that does not conform to the human expectations or imposed limitations that were forced upon me by my Christian upbringing. I was born like that. Yeah, it's nothing I can help. I'm not ev even um, willingly rebelling here. It's just nature telling you to shut up and, and listen and to see what, what nature can do. Don't limit nature unless you understand it. And well, how much understanding do we have of nature? It's growing. We keep uh, making discoveries. Science is keeping up and love it. It, it, keep, it just keeps growing. The knowledge keeps growing, but there is always so much that we don't know that we don't know. Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm just, I love science. And the, you don't know what you don't know things, like you can't solve for that, but at least we have science and reasoning around to work towards solving it. Yeah, it's, it's a journey and I think it's a beautiful journey and I want to accept everything with open arms. If something that has been taught to be true for centuries eventually gets found out to be not entirely accurate and gets revised, I want, I want to have open arms for that because it's important. It's Newton's law of gravity. It was not quite complete. It didn't account for the movement of, of Mercury. He couldn't explain that. But then a lot of time later, I don't know how many years later, like 100, 200, 300 years, I don't know. Einstein came along with relativity and solved that problem. And that's one good um, example of that. If people in science, like scientists, had rigidly adhered to Newton and ignored Einstein, there would still be so many problems in the mathematics of uh, the movements of planets, which are solved today because we accepted the new ideas. That's cool. That's cool. It keeps growing. Keeps refreshing. Like they say, Always keep an open mind, and I agree. Keep an open mind, things can change. We are such small creatures, and there's so much we don't understand. Just be open for that. That's also why I, why I mentioned agnosticism. That is important, like accepting that there are things we don't know, and not taking a rigid position unless there's sufficient evidence for one position. I cannot prove that there is or there is not a god out there. And I won't say if there is or there isn't, there might be, but it might be something that we humans can't even define. So what do I know? I just don't believe in any of the proposed gods. Otherwise, I just don't know. So yeah, nature literally doesn't care what we think it should be like. It just is. Mm -hmm. 
and it keeps breaking human imposed restrictions and expectations as time goes on and we keep learning. And so do I as a part of nature. Like in my youth, I've always been reprimanded for being rebellious. And my family, especially my grandfather, who is a preacher, often told me that a literal evil spirit of ungodly rebellion had befallen me. Hey, you're possessed. Shame on you. Shame on you for being who you are. You're possessed. I once had a girlfriend who thought I was possessed. Really? And in the middle of a date, she called her mom so that she would do some sort of anti-possession woo-woo over the phone in the middle of our date. It was super weird. Okay. Yeah, that's... I find it kind of insulting. It's... I don't know. Totally. I don't like... I don't like who you are. I'm going to change you now with the power of magic. Wow. Thanks for not accepting who I am. I guess we're not compatible uh, after all. <laughs> yeah. Needless to say, that relationship did not last. That was the whole time. Yeah, I believe you. I believe you. I also don't keep close contact uh, with my grandfather because of that. Yeah, he was like, oh, hey, when you were three years old, you destroyed a watermelon. This is the spirit of rebellion inside of you. And I'm like, grandpa, I can't even remember doing that. What do you expect of me? Do you want me to fall on my knees and beg for forgiveness? What is this? <laughs> I was honestly taken aback by that. Yeah, totally. Uh, so I'm curious to learn more about what what practicing Satanism looks like for you. So what role does Satanism have like in your daily life today? Physically, I have my little Baphomet idol here that's always in front of my face. I have a little card with the seven tenets of the Satanic Temple. Mm -hmm. that are like a rundown of the most important ideals that I want to have in my life, like uh, compassion and empathy, the struggle for justice, the inviolability of the body, the freedoms of others and my own that should be both respected. It's a two-way street. Then uh, conforming to the best scientific understanding that we have and not bending facts to fit beliefs. And uh, just a re reminder that people are fallible, but we can... We most of the time have the chan chance to rectify our mistakes and that we should also do it, like aim to be a better person every day. Mm -hmm. So I have that in front of me, just as a reminder. I have my jewelry that, yeah, with the symbols just acts as a support for my mind. I have a poster and a big flag with Baphomet and I got a cool t-shirt that says Satan respects pronouns. Nice. Yeah, just... just Lots of little self-affirmations. I, I draw sketches. I create sigils. I have a little book. Uh, hang on, I'm gonna show it. Here. That's my book. It says, Hail Yourself. And in there, the caption I do says, stuff like Heal this. Yourself, H-E apostrophe L, which is also funny. <laughs> Heal you Yourself. Did, you did He Yourself. So it spells Hell, which is also funny. <laughs> Triple funny. Hell. Not bad, web captioner. So you've got a numerology table and a Saturn table. Yeah. What is happening here? This is esoteric to say the least. It, it is. It is. The thing is, I'm not actually using it for esoteric purposes. <laughs> okay. I found this. I was browsing some witchy pages because I was interested in sigils and I found out that you can create your own. And I was like, oh, that is so cool because I love symbology. I love having images to remind me of things instead of words. And then there was someone on Tumblr who explained how to use these two tables. You can see how I broke apart the phrase, I seek knowledge into mm -hmm. 
only the, the consonants and mm -hmm. like ignoring everything that is double. Okay. And then breaking yeah. those apart into shapes. That's that's a symbol on the left that I drew twice because the first time didn't look so pretty. Mm -hmm. And with the numerology table and the Saturn table, I made the symbol on the right, the one that looks a bit like the beginning of a spider web. Okay. So I just took the words of that sentence, looked for the numbers for the corresponding letters in the numerology table, wrote that nice. down. And then I used the Saturn table to draw the lines, just connecting the numbers. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So I, I got my little sigil of seeking knowledge. You've got two sigils of seeking knowledge. Yeah, it's two actually, but I, I prefer the, the one that looks more like a goat for obvious reasons. That's so cool. I love so, that. Yeah. Sigils are so fun. Sigils can, are super fun. You can carve them into candles. You can draw them on paper or leaves or rocks mm -hmm. and carve them into rocks and keep them in your pocket. Yeah. Totally. There's so much to do with sigils. You can sew them into your clothes and have magic clothes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, and it's all about making so. meaning. Yeah. It's about making meaning. Yeah. It's so cool. I appreciate all of the tools of paganism, of magic, of spiritual practices, of esoterics, not because I believe in the magic in them, but I, I think they're very useful to influence myself, to be creative, to convey meaning. It's, it's super cool. I, I, I like that. I like that. So that's a part of my little satanic practice. I do stuff like that. And uh, yeah, sometimes I, I just got a yeah, incense burning set. I started doing that. It's really cool. I like just sitting down, closing my eyes, listening to some good tunes and just letting my thoughts go wherever they go. Reminding myself that I, I accept myself, that I am who I am, that is good that I'm valid and that there's people who see why stuff like that. Just coming back from the daily chaos, just to remind myself and ground myself that everything is all right. It's really good. Not so much. <clears throat> so uh, more specifically, what are satanic rituals? Okay. If I'm going to put it bluntly, I could say they don't exist because they are so individual. There are no rules for them. Mm-hmm. Now, of course they do exist, we do them, we have them, but there's not like specific global ritual rules or designs or what's it called? Liturgies. But yeah, it's also entirely up to the individual whether one would like to do rituals or not at all. I believe that most of humanity does rituals, even unknowingly. Like you get up in the morning, you make yourself a cup of coffee, that could technically count as a ritual, but it doesn't mean you, I'm forcing you to call it a ritual now. It's just from a anthropologic perspective, like those are counted right. as rituals. What's the difference between a habit and a ritual, but us declaring if it's sacred or profane? True, true. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> said. So yeah, since I am non-supernatural, as I already said with uh, the sigils and everything, I use that in a symbolic, a psychodramatic manner for self-influence. If I want to calm myself down, I use rituals for self-affirmations. I, I, I burn some incense to get the smell around me. 
sit down, I close my eyes, maybe I pretend that I'm talking to Satan or to Lucifer and saying, hey, I need enlightenment now and I need this and that. And then I think of how I can acquire that because I still have to do something. I don't believe it's going to come magically to me, but it's like creating a space inside myself where I can sort my thoughts and find out what I can do now. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's just, you know what, I'm going to lay down, I'm going to relax. Sometimes it's I'm going to read a book or I'm going to learn about a specific uh, thing or I'm going to get my paperwork done. But sometimes I just, with ADHD, sometimes it's just not easy to know when to do what and then everything comes at once and then nothing works and then it's good to have a small break, a pause, a little ritual and then go back and it's really good. So maybe one use of these rituals is almost like self-soothing. So similar to how an autistic person might stim or play with a toy or something. Play. You can use it to wield power over yourself and your psyche and your like your state of being that has to do with your biochemistry and your mental health and your physical health all at once. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's you can do it what in whatever way you want. I'm just a person who likes uh, theatrical stuff and uh, I like being like grand and ceremonial. So I like doing it that way. <laughs> I would do a lot more if I had a place where it would be safe to do stuff with fire because I'm drawn to fire. I would like to burn things like make little notes of things that hurt me in the past and burn them and be like, I let go of you in the flames of Lucifer and be just theatralics. I would like to do that, but I, I couldn't do it yet. But yeah, yeah, one could use... Uh, rituals to gather courage, to work through past trauma, to affirm oneself, to celebrate an occasion or anything else one might, might, may find significant. It's, it's about what's significant to you personally. If you feel that it's pointless, if you feel that it's, it's boring, then uh, you don't have to do it by all means. There are no rules for that. It's just look for yourself. <clears throat> if you like it, then do it. There's people who do full-fledged rituals with, with garments and, and big fires in the woods and whatever. And there's just people who also like to sit down, drink a cup of coffee and, and read a book. And that's enough of, that's enough for ritual. Like if it makes you feel good, that's yeah. Mission accomplished. There's a few, there's a few specific rituals that I know of from other, from organized Satanism or satanic organizations. Like the satanic temple has the black mass. I don't know how often they do that or if it was a one-time thing, but there was at one point a public black mass as a celebration of freedom of thought and rejection of religious oppression. And I know that they offer unbaptism rituals. These, these are for those who wish to set a symbolic end to their oppressive religious past lives and begin a new life as their true selves. You, they don't have to do that to effectively cut themselves off. As I said, there's no real magic going on there. If you le left your former life behind, you've done that ritual or not. But it's just mm, like celebratory. Yeah, but it's it since there was often with baptism, since there's ritual around it, it's nice to actually have ritual that's designed around undoing it for those who want to more formally mark the occasion. Ritual is really about the preference of the people participating, right? Some people, they just, when they get married, they just go get a license and sign it and they're done. And some people have a big thing that takes months or years to plan and they invite everybody and there's like color schemes and all this other stuff. And like, 
the purpose of the ritual is because it's meaningful to the people engaging in it. Yeah. Even in non-religious rituals, like getting married. Yeah. Yeah. I think especially for like people who come from another religion that was very ritual heavy, like Christianity is very ritual heavy, maybe not all denominations. Mine wasn't as ritual heavy as I would personally say the Catholic church is, for example. But we still had them, and baptism was one of them. It was a big thing where the entire church gathered and watched you as as witnesses that you have given your life to Jesus. And they always said, the angels are now around us watching this happen, and they bear witness. And it's a huge thing. So I completely understand that for some of us, rituals just stay something important or like mentally stimulating at least that we like to use further on for other purposes. And I think I'm one of these people because I grew up with that. I do it differently now, but I've certainly kept an interest. So yeah, one thing I would love to do in the future would be a gender reveal party, a trans celebration ritual. Yes, I love that. Like I think gender reveal parties are for people who have grown and found their identity and not for parents to celebrate the genitals of their newborns. Like, what the actual hell? I love that so much. <laughs> yeah, trans initiation ritual. Hey, this is my new name. This is my gender. This is who I am. Let's celebrate. Cool. If you want to make it extra esoteric, you, like, crack an egg over someone's head. <laughs> <laughs> crack an egg over my head. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What if you figured out how to, like, like, dye the color of the yolk so it's some color related to the gender of your choice? <laughs> which isn't limited to pink and blue it could be like purple or green or all the greens yeah. and ham the Ming gender flag has two shades of blue two shades of green two shades of purple i believe i'm not sure anymore but there's a lot of colors in the Ming gender flag it's a lot of the cool colors the coolest <laughs> so yeah that, that much for rituals i love that what are some other things that inspire your satanic journey? I saw Reward a Drawer saying Hail Sagan in the chat. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. <laughs> and I just thought that's perfect. I love Carl Sagan. I love him so much. He's a super inspirational person to me. For those who don't know him, Carl Sagan was an astronomer, an avid advocate for scientific education, reason, and critical thinking. He saw the responsibility tied to humanity's technological advancements to use them with great care and respect of all life forms and the earth as a whole. I've uh, read his book, Cosmos, and I loved it. He had such a cordial and endearing way of explaining science to people of all ages. And there was also a TV show of the same name, which had the, the same content as the book. And watching other videos of him, like especially with, within uh, religious debates, religion versus science and stuff, I always admired how respectful and calm he was. Like, very respectful and calm approach when engaging in tough questions. He didn't cut people off, he let them talk. And he never he never raised his voice. He was always understanding and and just a very cordial human being. You could say it was you could feel how much he respected every human as a human being, as an equal to himself. 
And that's something that I strive for. That's Those are some amazing qualities that I would love to emulate in my life. Sadly, Sagan uh, isn't alive anymore. He died in 1996, which I'm very sad about because I was born in 95. And I just imagine growing up with Cosmos on TV and that, that would have been like my number one obsession when I was a kid, if I had been born a bit earlier. So yeah, I've read Cosmos, the book from 1980, and I have The Demon Haunted World here from 1995, which I still have to read, but I've heard that it's really good. It's also within the repertoire of the Global Order of Satan. The thing is, the most of the satanic organizations that I've seen don't adhere to one book, but they have a library. Right. They have a lot of books that they recommend. Nothing is like canon or written in stone or anything. It's just inspirational. Mm -hmm. And The Demon Haunted World is one of them. And the, the second title, secondary title is like Science as a Candle in the Dark. It's a book designed to explain the scientific method and rational thinking to guard oneself from charlatans and snake oil sellers, stuff like that. I think it's very important, especially for myself coming from a religious background, because I didn't really learn to use critical thinking before I believed something because, yeah, because I was expected to believe it because I was told so. And that is just never a good place to start at, especially mm -hmm. when you grow up, when you become an adult and have to conduct your own life. There comes a point where I think it's super, super important to start thinking for yourself. Like I would go under otherwise, because I, if I didn't start thinking for myself, I would still be in my egg and miserable. Mm -hmm. So there's that. There's some really beautiful quotes by Carl Sagan that I just wanted to share. Every one of us is, in the cosmic perspective, precious. If a human disagrees with you, let him live. In a hundred billion galaxies, you will not find another. That's really beautiful. and. There's another one. Science is not only compatible with spirituality, it is also a profound force, uh, source of spirituality. And then I got, for small creatures such as we, the vastness is bearable only through love. I feel that, like that love for science, that love for existence, for nature, for the cosmos, that fascination that just sparks the heart. It's, ah, it gets me. And then one of my absolute favorites, uh, the cosmos is within us. We are made of star stuff. We are a way for the universe to know itself. All right, okay. I think everyone knows now why I love Carl Sagan. Because <laughs> I, you see me, you see me talking about stardust all of the time, reminding yeah. people that they are made of star stuff and where they come from, that they are a part of this cosmos, a part of this beautiful universe, sparkling with colors. I just want to remind people how beautiful they are. I know I'm right, because even science backs me up, saying that everyone is unique and beautiful. There's just no question for me about that. And yet so many of us have been told that we're not enough, that we're bad, that we're evil. We keep being told that, and it's so toxic. But it's beautiful that the truth is something different, and I just want the people around me to know that they are beautiful and that they can feel good for being who they are. I just want to share that. And uh, apart from Carl Sagan, there's another uh, very inspirational thing to me. I, I say thing because it's not a person, it's uh, the band Nightwish. 
Okay. Okay. Technically, it's Tuomas Holopainen, the guy who writes the songs. But yeah, it's uh, he's not the band. The band is a lot of people. But their last two albums, Endless Forms, Most Beautiful, and Human Nature, they are like an ode to the universe. They explore the natural history of the Earth and its place in the cosmos and the place of humans in existence, and also just the stories that humanity writes, like. On one side is a warning, on another side is a reminder of who we are, uh, that we come from the stars and stuff like that, that we are precious. I think that's just beautiful. There, there's so, such amazing songs on these two albums that I just love listening to, especially when I'm meditating, when I'm doing a little ritual to center myself again. Today I was listening to How's the Heart, which uh, is just a song about human empathy and compassion for your fellow human being. And it moved me to tears because it's just beautiful. When we care for one another, the most beautiful things can happen. So yeah, that's that's also a big inspiration to me. I didn't write, write down more. It's like Carl Sagan and Nightwish are top tier. And the rest is, the rest is a mixture of different things in science and literature. And of course, all of the stuff about Satan. So I suppose my next curiosity is... What does Hail Satan mean to you? I like how Reward a Drawer came into the chat and said Hail Sagan as a joke. But tell us more what that phrase means to you. What is it a declaration of? Or Yeah, it's funny. Uh, that's a question that many people ask in the Satanic subreddits. Like every week, there's at least one person asking, what does Hail Satan mean? Why do you say that? Yeah, it's very individual. Everyone has a different answer to that. I personally think it's hailing the values that uh, Satan symbolically stands for. All of these things like compassion, empathy, reason, justice, equality, etc. But also to hail yourself. Like you're good the way you are. Like ma many of us say, hail Satan and hail yourself. But even if we just say hail Satan, we also mean uh, hail yourself because uh, Satan stands for, stands for loving yourself, for accepting yourself and for being your own master. So therefore, hail Satan is hail, hail yourself to an extent. And we like to use it as greeting or blessing to hail others. Hail you, you're amazing, you're cool, you're the master of your life. Hey, that's amazing. You're the goat, the greatest of all time. I love that. <laughs> the goat, greatest of all time. <laughs> I find that funny. I also like to say, oh my goat. <laughs> oh my goat. <laughs> like how I will say, oh my glob. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Oh yeah, my you goat. Say, oh my glob. I say, oh, oh my, my greatest goat. of all time. That's so fun. All right, I only have two more satanic-related questions for you. So if anyone in the chat has, start typing. My next one for you is, what satanic symbols do you find meaningful and why? So I know we already talked about sigils, but I wonder if there's any other symbols you'd like to talk about. Yeah, of course. Hang on. I'm going to bring up the image of Baphomet again. There we go. Because I'm going to start with Baphomet. So I'm, I'm just uh, going to describe him again for the podcast listeners. So Baphomet is an androgynous figure. It has a human body with a phallus and breasts, but it has the head of a goat with, with a torch between its horns. And one hand is pointing upwards to the sky, to the heavens, and one hand is pointing downwards to the earth or to the And he has feathered wings and not always, but mostly depicted sitting on a globe representing the planet. Where Baphomet actually came from is unclear. At one point, 
Baphomet was used to accuse the members of the Knights Templar for heresy. Like it was said that they worshipped a goat-headed deity or maybe not even goat-headed because I've seen images of Baphomet that are a figure with three faces in one head, which is something entirely different. So I'm not sure how that came to be. And it seems to be pretty unclear historically. What I do know is that it was reissued as an occult symbol by the French occultist Eliphas Levy. Eliphas Levy, I think, I think that's how you spell, how you pronounce it in in one of his books, Dogme. It's in French, obviously. But there, Baphomet represented the idealized human being in balance with the qualities of existence as Eliphas understood them in occultism, like positives, and with positive and neutral quality, all in all. If you take everything together, you get a neutral or positive quality. There's um, as above, so below. I'm not sure how he understood like the cosmos, like how he understood above and below. There's also alchemy in there that I don't understand entirely. There's uh, solve and coagula on his arms. That means dissolve and coagulate, which are two opposite processes in, in, in chemistry. And I guess that's, yeah, old alchemy as well. And he represents all of the elements and both sexes in his body. You can't see it on the image, but there's on his belly is a shield with fish scales representing water. The torch on his head represents fire or wisdom. And then there's the earth where he's sitting on and uh, the wings, which I'm not sure if they represent air or ether. I'm not entirely sure where air is and where ether is on, in Baphomet, but anyways. So yeah, that's like how the symbol was born. I'm not sure if Eliphas Levy actually linked Baphomet to Satan. My sources were really unclear on that. Some said that the Satanic Temple officially incorporated Baphomet into Satanism, but I don't think so, since Baphomet has been regarded as a Satanic symbol for a lot longer time. But I'm not sure if that was ever official or if that was some sort of scapegoating by people who were afraid of his figure. But anyways, that's just like the historical stuff. And now comes my personal interpretation of them. Because Baphomet is, is actually androgynous and, and represents all genders at once and therefore is non-binary, which is super cool. Non-binary idol. But yeah, since my I have like my personal meaning to Baphomet, Baphomet is, is for me just my own gender. So I use he and they pronouns for them. For me personally, Baphomet unifies values that are often understood as opposites, but I think that they in reality complement each other pretty well, like pride and humility. You can have both, and I think you need both, because if you have too much pride, it could grow into arrogance, but if you have too much humility, it can grow into self-deprecation, so you need a balance between the both. That's just my interpretation and my making meaning of it. So yeah, he balances values and symbolizes wholeness in nature, like the wholeness of the human spirit, which is important to me because, yeah, as, as I've told you in my life, I've often made, been made to feel broken just for existing, to feel like I will never be whole, I will never be good, I will never be something valid just for being incongruent with the expectations of uh, others. But I've learned that things are just how nature allows them to be, which is neither intrinsically good nor bad. It just is. 
as nature allowed it to be. And therefore it's not inherently broken at all. And I think it's beautiful and wondrous. All of the variety of life, all of its various forms, like all colors of the rainbow, trans pride, LGBT pride, like differences make us beautiful. And well, yeah. I was just going to say that sort of leads us to the next question, if you're ready for it. Which would that be? What is satanic activism? Because if we're oh, talking we about go. how everyone is beautiful and deserves like personal autonomy and authority, where do we go from that as a belief to that as an action? Yeah, that's a good point. I'm non-denominational. I would love to have a group to do projects with. Cleaning up a street or... I don't know, collecting clothes for homeless people, like warm winter clothes and stuff like that. It would be beautiful to just be a part of a small group that makes small things for the community, for the people in need. But the existing satanic organizations have a lot of different different projects of activism. Like Some of them are involved in politics and try to turn the tides there to get church and state separation going in the US, for example, or advocate for uh, women's rights, for the rights of reproductional rights, like letting people choose for themselves around the topic of abortion and, and birth control and everything. And also fighting for religious plurality, because uh, everyone deserves to have a place in, uh, in life, in the country, and not just those who follow a specific uh, religious order. So those are a few things that satanic organizations work for or work towards. And I don't know if any specific trans-related satanic activities right now, but it's very intersectional, I gotta say. It's very intersectional. Many, like I uh, said before, chapters of or congregations of uh, satanic organizations support pride marches with their presence. But yeah, like, of course they do. More than 50% of the members are LGBT. <laughs> so it's not even a question. It, it belongs yeah. together. Hasn't the Satanic so, yeah. Temple also done like counter-protest type stuff? So if someone is making a stink about religious freedom in schools or something, they'll do similar stuff. It's like, oh, we need the option to pray in school. And it's, we need the option to put Baph Baphomet, the statue in the middle of the thing at the same place. Yeah. Yeah, that, that sort was, of like that was trolling like... the religious right a little bit. <laughs> if you want to get easier religious freedom that way, we're going to do it that way too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's actually funny that the Satanic Temple actually started as a stunt group, as a troll group, but evolved into uh, into an organization. <laughs> it's interesting, but yeah, stunts like these. I think the the thing in schools is that like Christians are allowed to distribute Bibles at schools. Mm -hmm. And therefore, other religions should be able to also distribute their like literature. And mm -hmm. what they do is also to offer a after-school Satan club, with, where they don't go to learn about Satan at all. It's uh, it's more they go there to learn the scientific method, rational thinking, to do creative projects, to just have a good time, to learn to respect themselves and to accept themselves and embrace themselves. It's really cool. It's just a counterpoint to the Good News Club that is uh, very popular or very or exists a lot in the U.S., mm. which is just a, a Christian after-school club. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of after-school Christian activities. Yeah, in the United States, <laughs> it's a lot. 
Yeah, it's true. I gotta say, coming from Europe, I have never seen such a thing in school. If anything, the students themselves organ organized something. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't like presented by adults to children to send them there. I, I was leader of a Bible club for a while. That was just us organizing ourselves. Mm -hmm. Nothing else. Yeah. So it's very different between the US and here in Germany. I just know what I'm reading. <laughs> totally. I, I, it's yeah. it's wild the the amount of proselytization. That's a word. Yeah, that's a word. A lot. It's a lot. Okay. So pivoting a little mm -hmm. bit, can you share a bit about an experience that you've had with gender euphoria? I like to end on a positive happy gender wonderful note so i wonder if you could share about that yes absolutely as a kid i, I like I, as i told you i loved role-playing as uh male characters or masculine animals and stuff that gave me euphoria that was really cool or quoting them i always learned like a lot of quotes from movies a bug's life or lion king 2 or mulan and stuff like that of course mulan is is totally a trans movie and i love it to this day, I'll make a man out of you. So yeah, those love, are little yeah. tidbits. Yeah, great. Mulan is amazing. Little tidbits of early gender euphoria that I just learned to identify in the last few months that I, all of my life, I didn't know that was gender euphoria. It's cool to know. There's one specific moment from when I was around 16, like during my werewolf phase. So one day I had some leftover faux fur from mm -hmm. something that I was making. I don't know if it was a cosplay or anything, but I had some fur and I decided to make a, fur, a fake beard and mustache out of it. <laughs> and then I just glued it to my face and went to school with it. I'm going to do what I want. That's so fun. <laughs> and it just felt so good. And then somebody gave me a hat and it made me look a bit like Zorro, L like the, the guy with a sword. <laughs> oh, yeah, it looks so good. I I, I took a, a selfie of myself just for fun and I just couldn't take my eyes off of it. I was like obsessing over seeing myself like that and I didn't know why, but I was super obsessed. Whoa, that feels amazing. I feel like I could take over the world now. Why? It's just a fake beard. That was really something. <laughs> or yeah, an another thing not related to the way I looked, but last December I read that Switzerland was going to change their legal name and gender system to informed consent. And I'm still a Swiss citizen, technically. I live here, but I'm still a Swiss citizen, so I can use that and I can get my name and my official gender changed without having to go through the super transphobic whatever thing they got here in Germany. And I'm so happy about that. And I was riding such a huge wave of euphoria after I sent that email and I was told, yes, you can come in June and get your name and, and gender officially changed. And I was like, oh my, this is amazing. This is just, I feel powerful. I feel like I have power over my life. So yeah, I'm on my journey here. Sometimes I wake up and my voice is a little lower and raspier and I'm like, oh yes, I want to sound like that all day, but I can't keep it up. <laughs> if you can get on injection-based tea, it'll happen pretty fast. I did the gel for 10 months and I don't think I heard any auditory verbal changes, but even just one one month on injection testosterone and it's already going lower. I hear it. I hear the change. Meow. It's noticeable. <laughs> it's amazing. 
It's fun to meow in a really low voice of people. I can't even meow that low. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. But yeah, like there is, you. it's been weird to have the voice change happening during the current events happening in the world because I keep, I'm like, am I sick? No, it's just my voice changing. But I keep getting the scratchy throat situation. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it's the whole time. It's still in front of me, but I'm working towards it and the journey is starting and I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm super excited seeing your journey because you're taking tea. I'm going to take tea. We have two different genders, but uh, we are going to take the same medication to get wherever we need to. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. It's uh, honestly amazing. Totally. Yeah, so uh, Mrs. Gendered in chat says, my changes were super quick on injection. The beard took the longest. I just switched from injection to gel for basic tea upkeep. That's awesome. Cool. You'll love to hear it. You'll love to hear it. We can, yeah. we can be beard siblings. We can have little discord calls where we just pet our beards at each other. We're totally going to do that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Strokey beard meetings. We could finally be included in the Strokey beard meetings. <laughs> I actually used to do that. Pretend I'm stroking my beard when I was thinking. Why would a girl do that? Oh, oops. Not a girl. <laughs> Hashtag not a girl. It's so fun. All right. Uh, Last question. What would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary slash trans issues? To me, empathy and compassion towards your human fellows and also towards other creatures, but I'm talking to humans here, I assume, unless there's some, how does our friend say, undocumented cryptids? The chat. <laughs> Ultra humans, anywhere? Says the furry VTuber. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> But yeah, what I wanted to say, I'm rambling, is that it's very important for me to share that joy and gratitude for just being, for just existing and knowing that you're good the way you are. Like, listen, you are who you are mm -hmm. and you're good the way you are. And as Carl Sagan said, you are the only person in the history of the universe that will ever be you de facto like your brain the way it is wired the way it works to produce your identity your personality it only exists once because uh, the possibilities are so many and your consciousness i don't know if you can duplicate a consciousness but i just want to say that you are one of a kind and never forget that you're wonderful and if you find an identity that makes you happy and feel at home, take it and run with it. Always allow yourself to change in any way that furthers your comfort and happiness, but never forget that you're valid. Even if you decide to drop a label later on, that's totally okay. You're still valid. You're still who you are. Change is a part of nature. I started out with the strictly non-binary label as my gender, but I found out that there are other things that may be more fitting, like uh, Solarian. I experimented with that, but I dropped it in the end. I don't know why. Like, it's super cool. It has to do with the sun. But I don't know, for some reason, I feel like Mingender describes it better for me, at least for the time being. Maybe someday I'll have another label, who knows? But yeah, anyways, allow yourself to explore and experiment and embrace your changes in any way that makes you happy. Yeah, I have a quote here by Ellen Watts. The more a thing tends to be permanent, the more it tends to be lifeless. Pretty cool, huh? So cool. So 
be loyal to yourself because only you are guaranteed to be consistently in your life from beginning to end and no one is as close to you as you are. Mm -hmm. Nobody can get inside of your head or inside of your spirit, inside of your being and feel what it is to be you. They may have seen you, but they have never been you. So when they mm -hmm. criticize you, just remember that. Only yeah. you know what it's like to be you. Nobody else can judge that. Yeah. So yeah, life is a journey and an adventure. You write your own stories yourself and you are in charge of your story. You are the final authority over your own life and identity. And you deserve to be happy and fulfilled no matter where you land on the rainbow. Life is colorful and full of variety. And yeah, so embrace the beauty of the unexpected. We live in, in the cosmos filled with the unexpected. <laughs> yeah, well, where I was born, people certainly didn't expect me to exist, but here I am and I'm just going to continue being me until the end. I love that so much. So yeah, I, I just want, I just like to share that. Like when my friends are down, I always tell them, hey, remember, you're good. You're amazing. You're one of a kind and you cannot be replaced. So please don't self-deprecate, but remember who you are. I love that. There's a lot of freedom in all of that. Yeah. So good. Though. No. Yeah, that's just my jam. We love being aggressively wholesome at each other in the Meowster Cloudered community. Our vibe is just aggressively supportive and wholesome. I love that vibe. It's so good. So is there uh, anything else you want to make sure you say to the community, to our listeners, um, before we wrap up and sign off for the day? Oh, thank you so much for inviting me and for letting me info dump and ramble for two hours straight. It made me very happy. I genuinely hope that people find that interesting. And I also hope that you had a good time with me here just endlessly talking. It's I haven't studied Satanism too deeply, so it was wonderful to have some time to hear some more deeply considered thoughts about the topic. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. <clears throat> and I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah. Thank you.